Well, it's a pleasure to be able to speak with you this morning. Jez has stolen my introduction. I was like, I was going to spend five minutes telling you that we've, um, we're looking at the story of Genesis. Um, but yeah, so it's a pleasure to be able to speak with you today. And if you're visiting or you just want to know where we're at, just by way of reminder, we're in our penultimate week of our teaching series, as Jez has already just said, um, surprising acts, the surprising stories of God's kindness. And... Um, we're looking at this book of Genesis and really looking at these lives. Some of these guys, major players. Some of these guys, minor people. Some of them with huge roles who carry this huge promise of God on them. Just pull it out. Is that too close? How's that? Is that a bit better? Not kicking and tickling. and So much better with a handheld mic. One of these fancy things. Uh, I'd never make it as a pop star. Um, I shall stay here instead. Um, so yeah, we've been looking at some of these major players, some of these guys' major players with the promises of God written and handed and passed on to them. And some of these folk have been smaller people, just sideline character, sideline characters almost. But what's been fascinating and what has gripped me so much is to see how God, God doesn't seem to care whether you are a front guy or someone on the back row. God is not bothered whether you are a mainstream character or whether you are a sideline character. We have seen through this teaching series in Genesis, looking through these characters, that God's grace, God's kindness is made available to everyone. And that is so key. And I hope that you might have found this as encouraging as I have. I think this, this teaching series and really this morning's message is for anyone, if you've ever felt overlooked, if you have ever felt sidelined or unworthy, or if you feel like perhaps your past disqualifies you from knowing God's favor, God's blessing, God's kindness, then this teaching series, and in particular this morning, is to reiterate that is not true. That is a myth. And God's kindness is made available to you this morning. Um, for me, the kindness of God is like this fine point of God's goodness. Uh, I think if I look at my life, God's goodness is this overarching theme. I, I, I think God's goodness is something that my life, regardless of circumstance, I know to be true. God is working it for good. But God's kindness, God's kindness are like the fingerprints or where he meddles. And that's really interesting. For me, this became very real to me, I think, probably about two years ago. I've been leading the worship team. By that point, I'd been leading the worship team here for a couple of years already. And, uh, and I just remember going to God with this, this prayer request. I remember working in a garden. That's what I do. I'm a gardener. I remember working in a garden and saying, God, I want more. I, I want something. I want some encouragement. I want an opportunity. This was a really selfish prayer. This was John not praying for salvation for many, many people. I wasn't looking to see gospel impact lives everywhere. I was praying for really just selfish me request and uh and what struck me was in five minutes if i haven't prayed this lord i want big opportunity i want something for me i want some encouragement within five minutes of having prayed this uh, god's uh, god's incredible kindness i got a phone call from a friend a friend over in eastbourne who leads the team there and said john i would love it if you would come over and lead worship at this event uh next week and I just remember being struck in that moment, as small as a thing as that might seem to you, or as small as a story as that might seem to you, or as selfish a story as that might seem to you, God's incredible kindness was to give me something that I didn't need, 
It wasn't going to bless anyone further than myself, I expect. But it was something that God's saying, I care about you. You are a son to me. I am your father. It is my delight to give you what you ask for. And really, that's what I want us to see this morning. God's kindness is made available to you, whatever your request, whatever your circumstance. God's kindness is made available for you. Whatever the motivation, you are not disqualified from receiving God's kindness. So as we've already said, we're going through this book of Genesis and looking at various characters. We started with the character of Abraham. And we saw how God took a man from his homeland and said, I want you to move to a new town, a new city. I want you to leave this homeland of yours. And Abraham at the time was a sun worshiper, we understand. But God takes him aside and says, I want you to move house. Move house. And then later on in the story, we read that Abraham is told by God, he says, look up at the stars. Okay, look at the stars. Can you count them? No, not a chance. And God says, as innumerable as the stars are, so your children will be, so will your offspring be. And what was amazing about this story, and what we saw, which was incredible, was here is a man, first off, he's got no history with God. Second off, he's a man in his old age, and his wife is barren. She also is in her old age. They've had no children up to this point. But God uses them. God moves them away from their hometown and says, I want to bless you. He makes two massive promises to the man. One, I'm going to give you children, and I'm going to bring hope to the world through these children. And two is that I'm going to bring hope and salvation through your children. This morning, we're going to be looking at the character of Judah, who is ultimately and vastly appears very different from Abraham. But let's just carry on with the story, um, just to, so we reacquaint ourselves as we go through and where we know where we're at when we get to Judah this morning. So Abraham has two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And there's an interesting story there. Uh, and we really saw God's kindness again in there when we started that a couple of weeks ago. But what we see is Isaac then takes on the promises of God. This promise that God had said, I'm going to bless the world through you and you're going to have innumerable children. Isaac then carries that. Isaac then has a son, calls him Jacob. He has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau, much like myself, very man's man, big, strapping, strong, hairy guy. Uh, you know, see? And, and, he has a second, and he has a second son, Jacob. Jacob is a bit more devious. He, if, if I'm the man's man, he's a bit more like Jez. Uh, it's not true. It's not true at all. He's much manlier than I am. Um, and Je- he take, no, Jez? No, he takes Jacob. And Jacob, there's this devious moment. And what's incredible is God's kindness comes through. See, Jacob steals Esau's right to his inheritance. His inheritance, his family estate, or God's blessing. Jacob swindles him out of it. And yet God is able to use that situation we read. It was amazing to see how God takes this devious little man and continues his plan to bless the world. God is determined and characters don't get in his way. Now, Jacob, we learned, had 12 sons. And last week, Jez introduced us to Joseph. And next week, Jez will conclude the series looking at the second half of Joseph's life. Um, Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. I'm sure you remember that. And we saw last week, Jez showed us how God, the master storyteller, do you remember God, the master storyteller, works through Joseph's life 
and just brings about such incredible rescue to a world which is in current famine through this man. God is big and he can work through anybody. Joseph is sold into slavery. He ends up in prison uh, through initially, well, essentially his own integrity, lands him in prison. And then eventually he comes up and he's exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh. God brings this man who was favored by his father, who his brothers discounted, and God brings him up to a position of incredible authority. And he's able to bring hope to this world and hope to that land. Well, this morning, this morning, this morning we're going to meet Joseph's brother, one of Joseph's older brothers, a man called Judah. And Judah is as far from like being like Joseph as, as East is from West. They are two very different characters. But what is fascinating and what is beautiful is God's kindness cuts through this man's life. The, uh, we're going to look at three snapshots of Judah. It's still clicking. I'll just put it away a bit. Um, we're going to look at three snapshots this morning, um, spanning 15 years in Judah's life. And the first of our snapshots, 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 is lands us in Genesis 37. So this, I think it's going to come up on the screen behind me, but let me just read this from Genesis 37, verse 26. And it says this, Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him, since he is our own brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. So Joseph has just been sold into slavery, which is where we are now, at the hand of Judah, Judah's initiative. Brothers wanted to kill him. Judah says, ah, we can make some money out of this. Hang about. We can make some money out of this. Judah the schemer. Judah the scoundrel. Um, Judah is a man, and we would have learned and known over the past stories, he's a man who has grown up with the promises of God. He's a man who will have grown up with the knowledge and the understanding of God. Yet here, we see him doing something that is way out of line with what God's will for his life might be. And actually, this is not the last of the terrible things that Judah does. The following chapter, I was initially going to read, wasn't, I'm not going to read that now. The, the following chapter, he carries on. His life of misdeeds, mistakes, carries on. It doesn't stop there. But this, we look at how, and we see Judah selling Joseph on. Um, what we know about Judah, and by translation of his name, is that Judah means praise. And here we see Judah doing something that is completely unpraiseworthy. Um, and my initial reaction, I don't know about yours, my initial reaction is to see this man and see what he does, and, and actually to read the following chapter, and you just go, do you know what? Let's just write this man off. There's, there's 11 other brothers. Let's just write this one off. But it's key to see God does not. As I looked more closely into Judah's life over this last week, preparing for this morning, I, I see that actually as Judah grew up with the promises of God being passed down from his great-grandfather Abraham 
through to his grandfather Isaac, then down to his father Jacob. These promises, God's going to provide, God's going to bless, God's going to do great things. What I realize is that actually I too am just like Judah. I grew up in, the, in a Christian home. My mum and dad became Christians five to ten years before I was born. And they raised me going to church every Sunday morning. I went to church. I learned the gospel. I saw about Jesus. I heard about Jesus, the one who comes to take away the sins of the world, the one who whoever believes in him can have eternal life. I saw the miracles. I learned the stories that we teach our children now today, that God, has, God loves you. Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus fed 5,000. Jesus did this, that, and the other. I grew up with those stories, just like Judah grew up with the promises of God. And just like Judah, I rejected it. I remember a conversation with my best friend, uh, a guy called Phil. Um, he lives in London now. I remember speaking with him and just saying, I don't want to become a Christian until I'm on my deathbed. Uh, and what is so incredibly audacious about that statement is that the recognition that God is real, isn't it? So I, I was willing to accept that God was real. God did want relationship with me. Jesus has come to save my sins. And I was saying, I, re I recognize that's real, but I'm going to do my own thing. I essentially did just what Judah did. And do you know what? God didn't write me off. God didn't write me off. God doesn't write you off. Our past does not disqualify us from receiving God's favor, kindness, and blessing. I wonder how many of us have lived like that. See, Judah's first mistake is not, in, well, it's not initially that he sells his brother. It's not the deed of selling his brother, but rather his first mistake is to reject God's plan for his life or God's will for his family. That's the first mistake. Then comes, oh, well, let's sell the brother. Um, I wonder if perhaps you too may feel like, do you know what, in the past, I've done that. I've rejected God. I, maybe even this morning, you feel like, I I, I'm not sure about this. I, I'd rather pursue my own way for life. Well, Judah, Judah is child number four. Okay? Judah is fourth in line for the family inheritance, fourth in line for the family blessing that God is moving through the earth. And, and you, wonder, you wonder how aware of that he is. And you also know, we also know that Joseph, who we heard about last week, Joseph is his father's favorite son. He's clear about that. He gives him a special coat. Joseph comes with these incredible dreams and says, one day you're all going to bow down to me. Now, I put myself in that position. I've got two brothers. I wonder if Mike, my youngest brother, came up to me and said, do you know what, John? One day, you're going to bow down and worship me. I might too have stuck him in a pit. Um, he won't listen to this sermon, I'm sure. Uh, see, I, can put, I think the more I look at this man, the more I realize that there's not such a huge difference from me. Has he already discounted himself? Have you this morning already discounted yourself? Judah has. You look at the way he lives, and particularly in the following chapter, he seems to just throw it away. I know that when the waves come up around us and crash around us and when the world appears to us to be in a place of turmoil, it is quite easy and perhaps even the easier option to just throw it aside, to deny it. Do you know what? God's, 
God doesn't seem to want the best for my life. If that were the case, I wouldn't be in this position. But I think it's important to know, and I want us to remember this morning, is that God has not given up. God does not disqualify you. Our circumstances don't disqualify us from receiving God's immeasurable kindness. So snapshot one, that was Judah selling his brother into slavery. Snapshot two, this is about 15 years on. I think it's more like 13 years on. 13 years later, Joseph has been brought up out of prison. So he's been sold into slavery by his brother. He ends up in Egypt, works in for a, uh, the Potiphar's household. 15 years later, Joseph has been brought up out of prison and ends up before Pharaoh as Pharaoh's right-hand man. He's got this incredible ability to interpret dreams, a God-given gift. But he also has this amazing God-given gift of administration, which puts him in this huge position of authority, second only to Pharaoh. And we know there's a famine we read about in this chapter. There's a famine in the world. Well, this famine brings Joseph's brothers before Joseph and Pharaoh. And this is an interesting piece. Joseph knows who they are, but they don't have any idea that this is Joseph. And uh, for me, this, uh, this, you read in this story, just like your head just goes into a like, you put yourself there, don't you? I mean, can you imagine you have... Seen your, from Joseph's perspective, you have seen, you've, your life has been torn apart by your brothers. But now, miraculously, God has put you in this incredible position of power. And then your brothers come before you. They don't know it's you, but they're stood there before you asking for grain. Can you imagine, Joseph? I, I, hard not to just go, well, do they recognize me? Do you think they've noticed it's me? I wonder if, I wonder if they have. Uh, can, I, can I even forgive them? I could destroy them. After a bit of to and fro between Joseph's brothers and Joseph, the brothers leave with the grain that they need, uh, and Joseph puts in Benjamin, the youngest brother, his, his own brother, he puts in Benjamin's bag, sack of grain, he puts his gold cup from his palace. And as the brothers leave, Joseph, uh, Joseph calls them back. He says, you've stolen from me. They said, we haven't stolen from you. He says, you've stolen from me. My golden cup is missing. So they come back, they open their bags, and lo and behold, Benjamin in his sack is Joseph's golden cup. And this is where we land in Genesis 44, verse 18. 44, verse 18 says this. Then Judah went up to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. After a bit further down, it says this in 33. Now, therefore, please let your servant, let me, Judah, remain instead of the boy, Benjamin, as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? Snapshot two, Judah steps in. There is this incredible change of character from the man we met 15 years ago. 15 years ago, he was willing to make a profit from selling his brother. 
now we see him step in to his brother's shoes as a substitute. This is actually the first time in the Bible, interesting, this is the first time in the Bible we read of a voluntary substitution. That's cool. Um, the first time we read of a substitution, it's with Isaac, do you remember? Isaac on the altar. And uh, Isaac's about to be sacrificed by his dad, Abraham. And God provides a lamb and says, do you not know stop? Don't kill your son. Here's a lamb. Lamb didn't choose to die. Here we see Judah. Judah steps in and says, don't. Don't, don't, make, don't make Benjamin stay. Don't. I will step in his place. I will take on his shoes. It's my responsibility. I'll step up. This is a huge turnaround. And it's amazing to see what an incredible character shift. Um, just as a side note, I think, uh, and something that caught my attention last night when I was reading, uh, I don't know if you remember Peter. Peter in the New Testament. Peter, Jesus, one of his closest companions. Peter denies Jesus three times. Jesus has been arrested by um, the powers that were. He's been arrested, he's been sentenced, and Peter is hanging about the place. And three times, three different people go up to Peter and say, Peter, uh, you're acquainted with Jesus. You're one of his men, aren't you? Three times. And every single time he says, no, got nothing to do with it. Um, you can imagine the shame and the hurt that Peter might have gone away with, having realized he had completely let down his master, essentially. This has got to be one of the cruelest moments in Jesus' life, to see his closest friends abandon him. But when we meet Jesus again after his death and resurrection, Jesus has this incredible moment where the sense of shame and betrayal that Peter will have felt is not only forgiven, but Jesus recommissions him. Jesus, I don't remember, so Joe, uh, Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus then says to Peter three times, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Jesus recommissions Peter. And that's incredible. Again, a turnaround in events, a shift in character. And uh, whatever the motivation in Judah's life, so back to Judah, Whatever the motivation in Judah's life for stepping into his brother's shoes, was it perhaps the shame of what he'd done earlier to Joseph? Was it fear of his father's hand? You know, I, don't, I can't take him back to my father. I can't go back to my father with my hands empty. My father will surely die, he says. Well, whatever the motivation for Judah's changing character, God uses this moment. This is incredible. God reaches in and uses this moment to not only heal the family, but essentially to then forward on, move on, push forward with the rescue plan to the earth. God cares about families. Amazing. I, um, I was 18 when I finally put my trust in Jesus. Uh, all the mess of the previous 18 years was dealt with in one moment. I remember on my knees in a big tent, in this Christian conference, an 18-year-old, and just going, Jesus, I give in, I give up, I surrender. I've done wrong. It's my mistakes. I give up. 
changing character. And Jesus uses that. He doesn't dredge up the past. God doesn't dredge up the past. He doesn't go, okay, that's very good. Well done. Uh, Now you've done that. Let's just talk about some of the things that you did do and how we can work about making them not happen again. He doesn't do that. He goes, son, you're forgiven. Come. He embraces me as a child. The same way you see my three sons, they run up to me. I give them a big hug. God does the same with me. When I turn around and say, I put my hands up. I'm so sorry. It was my fault. God says, come here. Come here. Have a hug, a proper hug, a real hug. Our past does not disqualify us from receiving God's blessing. And better still, we have a substitute in Jesus. Judah paints a picture of what Jesus is like. Judah's substitution is the first voluntary substitution that ultimately points to Jesus, the one who voluntarily steps in my place, takes in my shoes, and takes the blame, the shame, the corruption upon himself, letting me walk free. The, um, the, I have a favorite song, um, every worship leader does. And uh, it, is, it is well the well-known hymn written by Horatio somebody something something. Um, the, third, the, the third verse says, My sin, all the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not the part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I'll bear it no more. Praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. Jesus, my substitute. Judah, a picture of what is to happen in It's a beautiful story of God's incredible kindness to our life. Snapshot three, Judah is exalted. This is a huge turnaround from the man we've already met. A huge turnaround. God deals in U-turns. He's incredibly gracious. He's incredibly kind. His mercy is just, well, it says, David says it's new every morning. It's unlimited. There is favor for you. Your past is not going to be dragged back up. The things you've done, it's not going to be brought back before you. It's dealt with. Judah's U-turn. This selfless act does not go unnoticed before God. After taking Benjamin's place, Joseph breaks down before the brothers. He just goes, guys, it's me. It's amazing. It makes such a great film. Why don't they, why don't they don't make these biblical stories into films? I don't know. Or especially good films. This is a massive moment. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers on the back of Judah stepping in. He says, guys, it's me. And there's this saying that I'm sure we'll look at next week. It's what you intended to hurt me. God turned it for good. God's kindness made available to us. In a dramatic moment, this family is brought back together. And at the end of Jacob's life, Jacob the father of Joseph and Judah, and the other ten. Jacob speaks over his sons. He's his prophetic word. It's word from God. And he says this over his sons in Genesis 49, verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? 
The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. He shall be the obedience of the peoples. What an amazing turnaround. As we saw with Peter, when we briefly turned aside and looked at Peter's life, we saw that Jesus undoes the hurt and the pain and then recommissions. This is a beautiful passage here in verse 8 of what God does with Judah. This is amazing. This is a guy who's screwed up time and time again. His life is a mess. And, uh, and God, in his incredible kindness, reaffirms him. The first thing he says is, um, Judah, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Now, we learn by translation, Judah's name has been praised. This is a reaffirmation for Judah. Judah, who's gone wrong and gone wrong and gone wrong and gone wrong. Judah, God says, your name still means praise. This is a massive encouragement for a man who is seemingly probably feeling disqualified. Your brothers shall praise you. Do you see the kindness of God as he undoes the hurt from our former lives? He knows the pain that a name can carry. Perhaps you have been called various names and these things hang around your neck like a noose. God undoes them. God takes off the noose and reaffirms you. He says, that name, that is either not true of you or that name that you had at the beginning, I'm going to show you what I meant by it. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. He reveals that to him. Jesus, uh, Judah is reaffirmed by his heavenly father. He says his father's sons will bow to him. He is like a lion. A lion is a top predator. It's a big, fierce, glorious looking animal. And he says you are like a lion, ultimately pointing towards the one who is God, Jesus himself, the lion of Judah. His kingly reign shall not depart. And this is important as we've already seen that Judah's life was a mess, and he had, in his first marriage, he had three sons, two of which died, and the other one we're not entirely sure about. He then has two other sons illegitimately or immorally with his daughter-in-law. What's incredible here is God is saying that even though you have been immoral in your background, I'm going to use that. And through your children, I'm going to bring about a kingly reign. This is your children that you had illegitimately. Yes. This is your children that you had by immorality. Yes. I'm going to use them to bring about a kingly reign. God reaffirms him and recommissions him. God gives Judah a future and a hope. And he does that for us this morning. God uses our circumstances. He uses the mess that we've made. He uses every single detail of our lives and he uses it for good. He uses it to display his glory, and he says, I give you now a future and a hope. Your past doesn't disqualify you. I provided a substitute, and here I'm giving you a future and a hope and a recommissioning. In this amazing story of God's kindness, we've seen God breaks into the life of someone who is seemingly insignificant. He's not a major player. He's brother number four. We also saw that he uses a man who is a mess someone who has not got his life together, and he turns him around. 
God does that with us, every single one of us. And as this story points to the, the coming of a Savior, we can look back today at the coming of the Savior, the one who comes as our substitute, who takes upon himself our sin, our shame, our background, deals with it at the cross, and gives us a hope and a future this morning. Whatever your past, you're not disqualified. Whatever you've done, God has provided a substitute. And this morning, he gives you a hope and a future. Why don't we, um, let's just, I just, we've got through, I'm just going to end with prayer. And just thank God. And then I want the band to come up and lead us in time. So we just thank God. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you care intimately and are acquainted intimately with all of the minute, minute details of our lives. Thank you that you know each circumstance we go through. You know everything that's happened. And still, you do not write us off. But rather, you write an amazing story of your rescue plan. And God, we are those who have been rescued. We are those who have been ransomed, paid for by you, Jesus. Thank you so much for the hope that this story gives us. And Lord, we look to you the one who is the ultimate author, the one who is the ultimate perfecter. We say, please have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.